0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Mysterious Bendix Society Read-A-Lot Podcast Book 3. Today we'll be reading chapter 12, but first Act, a recap of chapter 11. Milligan had just found the children in the cellar, hiding from the Tin Men, who are now gone. After taking a quick look around the house, Milligan suspects a salamander may have escaped to the nearby river. What they found inside the house were planted fakes that destroy computers and the Whisperer, so the Tin Men must have taken both. The tin men left the figs to make it look as if Mr. Benedict had destroyed them. The children were being planned to relocate with their families for safety. Constance is still missing. When the children went upstairs to pack, they found Mr. Bain claiming he was knocked out by a tin man, but from some obvious reasons, the children believed he was just hiding. While packing in Kate's room, Rennie noticed a scrap of paper Kate picked up and discovered it was part of a large note that was thrown away. After some puzzle solving, the children figured out it was a note given to the Tin men by Mr. Curtin, telling them to meet the Monk Building at 9 p.m. The children had very little time before then, and all the adults were surrounded by officials, so they decided to go themselves. Okay, that's the end of the summary. But I have some more shoutouts to give, so Micah Cook, I hope I pronounced that correctly, I give a shout-out to you, and to Super Axolotl, sorry I don't know your real name, and I know you guys were worried that it would bother me asking for shoutouts, but trust me, I absolutely love giving shoutouts. So don't be afraid to ask. I have a few more shoutouts to give to people who have been giving me great reviews on Apple Podcasts. So I would like to give a shoutout to Maryn, Creeper Dragon, SS Moth Three Family, Jerica, Jay Woods here, and me one five six eight. I hope I pronounced those all correctly, and I'm deeply sorry if I didn't. But thank you all so much for the amazing reviews and kind words. They mean the world to me. And if anyone else would like to give me a review, it helps me out so much in spreading the word about my podcast. And you get a shout-out! Anyways, I'm so glad everyone is enjoying the podcast, and without further ado, let's begin the episode. Chapter 12. Tricky Lines and Heavy Traffic Rainy and Sticky stopped at the end of the passage to catch their breath. Then again, when they neared the top of the dark... Winding, seemingly interminable stairs. It wouldn't do to be panting and wheezing when they crept into the secret anteroom located on the monk building's seventh floor. Mastering his breath as best he could, knowing perfectly well that under the circumstances, it would never fully settle, nor his heartbeat stop racing. Rennie kept up the count he'd begun in the back of his mind almost fifteen minutes ago. Almost fifteen minutes, but not quite. The ten men shouldn't have arrived yet, which meant Kate should have her chance to search the office. So why hadn't the boys met her coming back in the passage? He feared he knew the answer, and a minute later, Kate confirmed it. "'I stuck around to spy,' she whispered when the boys appeared at the top of the stairs. She was kneeling by the far wall of the anteroom, her eye to a peephole. She had set her flashlight on the floor lens down, so that only a dim glow emerged from around its rim. Kate tapped the flashlight. "'Don't worry, I only turn that on for you two. I'll turn it off when they show up.' "'When they show up?' Sticky breathed. "'Are you out of your mind? Did you search the office or not?' "'There was nothing there, nothing at all.' Empty file cabinets, empty dress drawers. It's all just for show, or else the ten men got here early and took everything. But it doesn't look that way. The place doesn't look ransacked, just empty. I want to hear what they're say when they discovered the same thing. But but Stiggy stuttered, trying to think of a way to change Kate's mind. The ten men were probably already in the building. They were probably coming up the main stairs. But he didn't want to leave Kate behind. That wall isn't very thick, he finally managed. You realize that, don't you? If they hurt us in here, they could smash right through it. Oh, no doubt, Kate agreed. So you better get settled. They'll be here any second. Rennie hurriedly glanced around to get his bearings before Kate switched off her flashlight. As long as he avoided the stairs, there was nothing to trip over or bump into. The floor was barren. So was the entire anteroom, save for the various garments, wigs, and hats hanging on the side wall. These were the disguises the adults adorned on errand days and a lever next to Kate's head that opened the secret entrance into the office. Don't bump that, Frenny told himself as he knelt at one of the peepholes. Whatever you do, don't bump that. Sticky must have been thinking the same thing. He veered so widely around the lever it might have been a cobra. Then he took his position in the final peephole. Kate switched off the flashlight and everything went suddenly and impenetrably black. As if conjured by the darkness, there came the sound of footsteps. The footsteps were followed by a thoughtful grunt, then a man's mute voice. This one isn't marked. It would appear to be 7B, though. Open it, said another deeper voice. Peering through the tiny hole, Rennie saw a red glow in the darkness, like a hot burner on an electric stove. The lock, he realized. A Tinman had just aimed his laser pointer at it. The glow faded as quickly as it had brightened. Rennie heard the doorknob turn, and with a thump and a heavy shudder, the office door opened. Flashlight beams swept across the office. Rennie instinctively drew back. When he pressed his eye to the hole again, he saw two men. One of them, a huge, powerful figure, with shining, well-coughed brown hair, undoubtedly McCracken, the leader of all the ten men, and by far the most formidable. McCracken made an adjustment to his flashlight and stood it upright on the empty desk, where it shone like a lantern. With his intelligent eyes narrowed, he turned his head slowly from left to right, surveying the office. Beside him, the other ten men, a familiar but speckled man named Sharp, was doing the same, with exactly the same expression and movement of the head so that the two men looked eerily like robotic figures you might see in an amusement park ride. Again at the same moment, the men set down their briefcases. "'Not terribly promising,' Sharp observed. "'I never trust promises anyway,' said McCracken in his too-familiar, cold, bass tone. "'It's clearly out of use. Why does Benedict keep it?' "'Perhaps he hasn't found anyone to take it off his hands. Times are hard for the gainlessly employed, my dear Sharp. In fact, Benedict used to maintain several offices here, but he's now just down to this one.' At any rate, it only makes less for us to search, and search we must, if only as a matter of form. By we, McCracken clearly meant Sharp, who cheerfully set to yanking out file cabinet drawers, as he did so when he studied the office himself, wondering if Kate had overlooked anything. He recognized the room, of course. 7B had been the site of one of Mr. Benedict's tests. How well he remembered peering through these very holes was sticky. They had only just met, as Kate narrated the challenge the boys had passed moments before. The floor then had been painted in a checkerboard pattern, and the secret entrance had been a regular door. Now 7B resembled exactly the sort of dull office found behind every other door in the monk building, with a desk, file cabinets, bookshelves, a waste paper basket, and a potted ficus tree that had seen better days. Rennie saw nothing important in it at all. Nor did Sharp, who appeared to enjoy the search nonetheless. With a satisfied smile, he upped into the desk, tossed file drawers here and there, ripped pastel paintings from the wall and punched his fist through them. For good measure, he roughed up the ficus, whose last remaining leaves to the floor like sad confetti. Then he took a cloth from his briefcase and polished a scuff from one of his gleaming black shoes. When will the others come? he asked, breathing hard. McCracken checked his large silver wristwatch. Then he checked his other one. Crawlings and Garrett arrive in two minutes. The others hold their prisoners, of course. I do hate to wait, said Sharp. Might we get on with the instructions. It will save time. McCracken laughed. Sharp, what a fellow you are all of us have to be present or the number won't come out correctly. Would you like to follow the wrong instructions? Do you think Mr. Curtin will be pleased? Sharp wrapped his knuckles on his head as if sounding were contents. Excellent point, McCracken. Well taken. No, since you put it that way, I believe we should wait. Two and a half minutes later, Crawlings and Garrett strode into the office. You're late, said McCracken. Sorry, said Crawlings. We thought we might have seen one, but no such luck. And no sign from the roofs? No. "'Very well,' said McCracken. "'Let's cite our numbers, beginning with crawlings.' "'Each ten men spoke a number aloud,' McCracken nodded. "'The sum is odd. That indicates you, Garrett.' "'Garrett reached inside his suit coat and took out a sealed envelope. "'He handed it to McCracken, who had already unsheathed the wicked-looking letter-opener. McCracken slit the envelope, removed the letter, and let the envelope fall. "'As if an afterthought, he sliced the envelope in two as it drifted to the floor. "'He didn't even look at it, before unfolding the letter and looking it over.' "'Read it aloud,' Rennie pleaded in his mind. "'Read it aloud!' But McCracken only said, "'Ah,' and passed the letter around for the other tin men to read. "'Excellent,' said Crawlings, the last to have a look. He with the letter and tossed it into the waste paper basket. "'That gives us plenty of time for coffee and scones. "'I don't know about you fellows, but I'm famished.' "'You forget,' said McCracken. "'We have to make another sweep for the girl. "'But take heart, my dear. "'If we don't track her down this time, "'we'll set up a watch in the neighborhood, "'and you can have something then.' Sharp looked hopeful.' Do you think she'll turn up before we have to go? I would so love a bonus. But of course, we can't miss the Bourbon Vidibius. With luck, she'll go crying back to Benedict's house well before then, said McCracken. With real luck, we'll track her down right away, said Crawlings. And with a comical smile, he pandemonium drinking from a coffee cup and rubbing his belly. The other Tin men chuckled. As for that, said McCracken, I have a few more ideas. Let's signal the others and get moving. The Tin men followed out of the office, leaving it in the darkness. And the young spies listened to their footsteps fading away. Not daring a whisper, Renny mentally willed his friends to be silent until he was sure the Timman had gone for good. For a long time, he listened with straining ears and was just about to switch on his flashlight when Kate switched on hers. "'Did you see that?' Renny whispered excitedly. Crawlings left the instructions. "'I saw it, all right,' Seki said. "'Let's go.' He trailed off, distracted by the sight Kate was heading for the stairs, and by a crumpled letter in her hand. "'Wait, you already got it?' Renny was staring, too. "'I didn't even hear you!' I've been practicing, Kate whispered, already starting down the stairs. Now come on, we're going to be late. It was agreed Kate would run ahead in hopes of showing the letter to Milligan or Mr. Benedict as soon as possible. And for the first time in ages, Rennie actually had hopes. From the ten minutes escutcheon, it sounded as though they wouldn't make their rendezvous for some time. And Rennie felt sure Mr. Benedict could decipher his brother's instructions, whatever they were, quickly enough to act. It was a most promising turn of events, and Rennie couldn't help feeling proud of his part in it. Nor was he alone. Kate's feet had flown even faster than usual, and Sikki, puffing alongside him in the secret passage, kept spontaneously breaking into a grin. The boys' high spirits were diminished considerably, however, when they staggered out of the cellar to find a miserable-looking Kate by sashayed by Miss Plug, who held her by the elbow. A short black limousine with its lights on it idled on the street. This must be the armor car and from Mr. Renick's house in tones of rising alarm, the adults could be heard calling their names. "'They're here,' roared Miss Plug, and relieved faces appeared in several windows. The guard plunged back into her triade without missing a beat. "'Looking for you, and no one seems to have any idea "'of these orders Milligan supposedly gave me, "'and what was I to do? "'Even though I began to doubt your word, "'what if I was mistaken? "'No, I had to keep my mouth shut. "'I had to shrug and play it off as confusion. "'Meanwhile, the Washingtons are panicking. "'Mrs. Permal was worried sick.' Her mother had to take a pill. Do you know how it felt for me to stand here, not saying anything to console them? Do you realize— I said I'm sorry, Kate cried, and I really am, Miss Plug. I can't explain how important it was, or why we had to do it that way, but— Miss Plug was hardly mollified. Did Milligan give those orders or not? Did you or did you not have to search for something important down in that cellar? As the exact truth would surely have released fresh torments of recrimination, Kate simply held up the crumbled letter. "'I have to show this to Milligan or Mr. Benedict. "'It's urgent, Miss Plug.' "'Miss Plug snorted like a bull, "'glancing at the letter in Kate's hand. "'What is it? "'No, let me guess. "'You can't tell me.' "'By now, Rennie had regained his breath "'enough to come to Kate's aid. "'We're sorry, Miss Plug, but it's true. "'We can't discuss it with you, "'but it is extremely important.' "'Miss Plug's daily gray eyes roamed from face to face. "'All three children tried to look both humble and beseeching. "'At last, she nodded curtly. "'Milligan isn't back yet. "'You can speak with Mr. Benedict in the car.' Milligan's sentries just went in to fetch him. Here they all come now. Sure enough, out of the house spilled not just Mr. Benedict and the sentries. Two men in plain coats with alert eyes darted ceaselessly all around. But also the Washingtons. The Permals, Ronda, Number Two, and finally Mitchell Brazos, carrying four small brown bags. The children evidently discovered that the bags contained snacks for the police station. But first they had to endure such tongue lashings as they had never experienced. A frantic, furious scolding from all quarters, amplified by a need for haste. "'Across the street, without permission, without telling any of us, and in that cellar of old places, why on earth? Searched high and low. Have you any idea, young man?' It went on like this at a great speed and considerable volume for about twenty seconds. Then all at once it ended, and in a rush the three of them were swept up and clutched and pattered, and even wept over, and their hair fussed with, in Rennie and Kate's case, And, clothes brushed off, they all had cobwebs and beetles on them. And in her confusion of emotion, the crying Mrs. Washington glared that Sticky was getting so big. And then, with earnest pleas to be careful and tearful promises, to see them at the station, the children were bustled into the back seat of the armored car with Mr. Benedict. Throughout all this commotion, they had said nothing to defend themselves. In part, this was because they had been given little chance. But it was also because Mr. Bain had sidled up and was observing the group with keen attention. Renny, his eyes downcast as he mumbled apologies, had steadied himself with the knowledge that soon they could speak privately to Mr. Benedict. But it was Mr. Benedict who seemed to have the most pressing things to say. As soon as the car doors closed, he said, "'I realize you have something to tell me. I see it on your faces, and obviously you have reasons for leaving the house. I have things to tell you as well, and the sooner the better. How urgent is your news? Must we discuss it here, or can it wait a few minutes?' The children glanced at one another. They were bursting to show Mr. Benedict the letter, and to see it themselves for that matter, but they had the sense it could wait a few minutes. Very well, said Mr. Benedict. We can begin after we've made a brief stop in the next block. There is no sense interrupting ourselves at the outset. And at the signal from him, the driver eased the car away from the curb. It occurred to Rennie that they had left behind the bags and jackets, but that hardly mattered now. This is Mr. Hardy, by the way, and in the passenger seat is Mr. Gristle. The sentries glanced over their extremely wide shoulders and gave jaunty salutes to the children. Their faces, however, were deeply serious. Hardy was a tall, wiry man with tall, wiry hair that blustered ceiling. Grizzle was a blockish, balding fellow with wisps of gray hair, like scattered clouds. Their shoulders were so broad that they met between their front seats, and between them the children had no view at all of the road ahead. But as the car headed out of the neighborhood and turned toward downtown, they saw through the side windows that traffic had begun detouring out of the congested main streets. With the headlights at its sole source of illumination, the city seemed to exist only at street level. And yet, where it appeared to lose weight and gaining in breadth, as the normally dark black alleys were lit now by a growing stream of traffic. It was in just such an alley that the limousine pulled over behind a decapitated taxi parked against a wall. Car horns blared as the sentries jumped down and stopped traffic. Mr. Benedict explained that they were changing cars, but was yet anxious to keep moving. The children quickly got out, squinting in the metal headlights, and packed themselves into the back of a taxi. Then Mr. Benedict and the sentries leaped in. The tall-haired driver grunted the engine, and the taxi shot away up the alley, its rattling muffler echoing off the walls. "'There,' said Mr. Benedict, as if they had just sat down to tea, he folded his hands on his laps and said, "'Now that that's settled, we can have a proper conversation.' I'll begin why we've changed cars and why we aren't going to the police station we aren't going to the police station cried sticky already disturbed to have traded an armored car for a mere taxi the police station was the cover story said mr benedict we're going to a different secure location and milligan will meet us there when he can The subterfuge was necessary because of mr bane who as i believe you already suspect is a spy for my brother we knew it kate exclaimed drumming triumphantly on her bucket she was holding it in her lap we knew something fishy was going on ages ago, didn't we? But you said, "What did he say, Sticky?" That it would be imprudent to seek of it further. Sticky said, "I'm afraid it would have been said, Mister Benedict. If you had known Mister Bain was a spy, you would have found it difficult to behave normally around him. It is a strain always to be acting, and I prefer to spare you that. Furthermore, I could not chance Mister Baines discovering that I suspected him. I am worried to overhear the unconscious comment for Constance." "'Furthermore, I could not chance Mr. Baines discovering that I suspected him. "'And were he to overhear in unconscious comment, from Constance, for example, in a fit of temper, "'he would have lost a key component of our defense.' "'But how's letting a spy guard your house a defense?' Kate asked. "'We discovered that Lethawdra had lo- worse plans,' said Mr. Benedict. "'He intended to make a desperate, terrible attack. "'The would resulted in far greater casualties than what we've seen.' But this was risky to my brother as well, whereas with a spy in place he could wait for information that might lead to a better opportunity. And so I allowed Mr. Bane to be kept on, having already determined him not to be the least dangerous of my brother's spies. He is not thoroughly wicked, you see, though he has a weak character. As you saw tonight, he was terrified by the Tin Men. I believe he got in over his head, as they say. "'So you weren't worried about him trying to kidnap us or anything?' Kate asked. "'Actually,' Mr. Benedict said, "'that was one of the few things I didn't worry about.' "'I had set an abundance of precautions in place, you see, far more than you are aware of, "'since, by necessities, much were kept secret. "'And at any rate, I consider the four of you more than a match for Mr. Bain.' "'Kate beamed at this last remark, so obviously sincere and stated so matter-of-factly, "'and with which she entirely agreed, and the boys, somewhat less confident, "'felt a stirring of pride nonetheless. "'Nor that I expected you to be tested,' Mr. Brindle continued. "'Milligan's sentries were on high alert.' and if not for this complete power and communication outrage, which I'm sorry to say I failed to predict, the tinman could never reach the house. As for Mr. Bain, I was confident he would never personally harm any of you. Not directly, I mean. It's true he never did anything worse to us than Snap and snarl. Sig reflected. Until today, said Mr. Benedict, with a pained expression. As we've just seen, under circum- circumstances, even indirect action can do terrible harm. "'Indeed, my task all along has been to manage the circumstances so that everyone was safe. "'And I do mean everyone. "'From any potential wicked actions, indirect or otherwise,' Mr. Benedict started to say something else, no doubt an apology or an expression of regret, but then seemed to think better of it, perhaps to avoid the children's inevitable protest. "'That was an awfully tricky line for you to walk,' Rennie said after a pause. "'A treacherous one,' Mr. Benedict said in a sober tone. "'But necessary, and it had the potential of creating a lead to my brother.' That is why I didn't have Mr. Bane arrested on the spot, after we let Constance run away, and why I tried to mask my suspicion. He may not have offered much of a lead, but he was all I had. He still is, I'm afraid. Arresting him might spoil all chances of retrieving the Whisperer and Constance before it's too late. The children were eager to reveal what they had possessed, a new lead to Mr. Curtin, but before any of them could speak, Mr. Benedict's head lolled forward, his spectacles slipping from his nose. Kate tried to shake him awake. It dawned on Rennie that Mr. Benedict's voice had faltered at the mention of Constance's name. Of course, he was incredibly worried, upset, probably guilt-ridden. He'd let Mr. Bain guard his house, after all, and Mr. Bain had let Constance go. Yet his manner had been calm as ever, and Rennie, his mind in a whirl, hadn't realized that Mr. Benedict's composure was a product of great effort. In fact, it was a house of all cards. And just the thought of Constance in danger had set it tumbling down. "'Try tickling his nose,' said he said. That worked once. But before Kate could try it, Mr. Benedict started and sat up straight. He turned apologetically to the children, resetting his glasses.' "'And without wasting a moment, said, "'I'm afraid that may happen again, so let me speak quickly. "'For if this situation worsens, things are you must know now. "'The timing of my brother's attack is no accident. "'He arranged everything so that it would come to pass today, "'if Mr. Precius had succeeded in removing Constance from the house. "'Hathodra knew I would go after her, "'and that Milligan would accompany me as a bodyguard. "'My absence in Milligan's was a key, of course.' "'for my brother knew that if he attacked while I was home, "'I would sabotage the Whisperer before he could possess it, "'and so that Milligan would ensure I had enough time to do so.' "'Mr. Benedict grimaced. "'I would never have allowed that to happen, "'and yet I made a different foolish mistake "'by not anticipating what Constance in her agitated state might.' "'He fell asleep again. "'Good grief!' Kate cried. "'What's the matter?' Hardy said, glancing in the rear mirror "'to see Kate holding Mr. Benedict's spectacles with one hand "'and shaking him with the other. "'Is he all right?' "'No!' said Kate, exasperated. "'She caught herself.' sorry i mean yes he's fine he's asleep again but he's fine well the traffic isn't hard Returned darkly even the sidewalks are packed and i'd hope to use them it was true all over stone towns stranded subway trains and hopelessly stalled buses and taxis were emptying out their passengers abandoning them to walk instead this was a novelty for many people whose confusion combined with the apprehension the blackout caused Led to his disorderly crowd that spilled around the cars and flowed along the sidewalks like water streaming around boulders and gushing down gullies. Mr. Benedict opened his eyes, rubbed his face, and instantly pressed on. It goes without saying that Constance caught us off by guard by running away. It was a lucky break for the Thalder that Mr. Bain was posted at the back door today, though no doubt this was part of his original plan. If we had left the house to deal with Mr. Precius, as my brother hoped, the Mr. Bain could make some excuse and abandon his post just as the salamander arrived, thereby eliminating any chance of a warning. "'That's exactly what happened,' Stingy said. "'We saw him go around to the front to talk to Miss Plug, and the very next second we saw the tinman.' "'Yes, it was very well orchestrated, and I'm afraid it was only the beginning. "'Do you recall Mr. Gaines saying that the government's top advisors were being convened to deal with the Whisperer?' "'If the Thodger had his way, the Whisperer would deal with them. "'I am certain he plans to obtain highly classified codes and passwords from those advisors, "'then use those secrets to his advantage.' It will be very sort of thing as you to accomplish tonight in Stone Town, but on a much grander scale. I'm telling you this now, children, because the next 24 hours will be the most chaotic, and we are likely to be separated. If the situation worsens, you and your families must leave Stone Town and go into hiding. Mr. Hardy and Mr. Grizzle here will be assigned to help you and protect you. The children exclaimed in alarm. They were going to hiding? Without Mr. Benedict? But what did he think was going to happen? What? Mr. Benedict, sadly affected by their dismay, fell asleep again. Look, what he was trying to get across to you, said Hardy sympathetically, when a long bout of pleading and shailing failed to wake Mr. Benedict, is that things could change fast. Mr. Curtin will want to get rid of anyone who knows the truth. Anyone who knows the whisper still exists and what it's used for. That means you and your family's kids, sorry to say, us too, of course, anybody associated with Mr. Benedict, and of course, Mr. Benedict himself. Especially him, said Grizzle, but not before Curtin gets what he wants out of him. What would that be, said Rennie, feeling shaken. His voice was barely strong enough to be heard over the bleeding muffler. Hardy shrugged. Answer about this sleeping problem they both have. Curtin knows Mr. Benedict was working on something that couldn't stop it, right? Everybody else Curtin can't figure out himself. But he wants to put the kibosh on the narcolepsy. Narcolepsy, Sticky corrected. This narcolepsy, right, and he'll do whatever it takes. And he holds the cards now. He's got the whisperer. So Benedict's got to find a way to catch him off guard. But that's not going to be easy, is it? We don't even know where he is. And even with Milligan on his side, and Grizzle and me and the other agents he can trust. Well, the odds aren't exactly good. By now Kate was shaking, Mr. Benedict so vigorously he looked to be attacking him. Like the others, she wanted to believe Mr. Benedict could solve this problem if he only gets to awake for it. But he was not to be awakened. His haggard, drawn face betrayed just how far he had pushed himself. Now his exhaustion was pushing back. In the front seat, Hardy and Grizzle were muttering to themselves about the traffic. Like herds of turtles, Grizzle kept saying, and how best to proceed. At present, they could hardly be said with proceeding at all. Ten minutes passed, then twenty, and Kate had no more luck waking Mr. Benedict than the sentries did reaching the next intersection. At last, the men made a decision. Look, we didn't want to draw attention to ourselves, said Hardy to the children, but we're never getting anywhere if we don't do something. You three sit tight. He and Grizzle got out of the taxi and began speaking to the drivers of the cars ahead of them. Flashing badges and Jessica leading, Apparently, they had some plan for clearing a lane. A plan would be good, Rennie thought. So much was happening all at once; it was hard to keep even the simplest thoughts in mind before others flew in to replace them. Constance, the ten men, Amon Patti, Mister Curtain, Constance again, and behind them, flashing with still more urgency now, but was that mysterious sequence, that code or whatever it was— one three three in two nine two. What was that anyway? For the first time since it made its appearance. Rennie had a moment to concentrate it. He closed his eyes and tried to organize his thoughts. I give up, said Kate. I've tried tickling, patting, hair pulling, you name it. Nothing's working. Maybe we should go ahead and look at those instructions, Sticky suggested. We could try to work them out ourselves. You're right, Kate said, opening her bucket. Rennie, are you ready? But Rennie was thinking. Organize my thoughts. Organize. That's it. Sticky, he said, his eyes popping open. What do you think this sequence is? He described the code exactly as he saw it in his mind, including the space in the middle. "'Sounds like a call number,' Siggy said instantly. "'You know, for a library book. A Dewey Decimal number.' "'That's what I thought,' said Rennie. "'Listen, I think I know where Constance is.' "'What? How?' Kate asked. "'No time to explain. Siggy, does that call number belong to any books you know? A book in Stonetown Library System? You memorized the entire catalog, right?' Siggy thought for a moment. "'Well, yes. It's a call number for the myth of ESP by Paranormal.' "'I've read that book. It isn't very good. Sketchy research and—' "'But where is it shelved?' Rennie interrupted. "'Is it at one of the branch libraries, or—' "'Oh, no, there's only one copy in the system, and it's at the main library.' Constance is at the main library!' Rennie cried. Kate closed her bucket, ready to move. "'That's not far from here. I can be there in five minutes.' "'I shall come, too,' Rennie said. "'If she's still mixed up, she might give you trouble. "'Sticky, if Mr. Benedict wakes up, you can tell him where we went.' "'Sticky frowned. "'The two men are prowling around looking for her, right?' What if you get cornered somewhere, or Constance runs off again, and you have to go after her, or... He shook his head. We have to stick together. You might need me. He's right, Rennie, said Kate. It should be all three of us. and the sentries too, yes? Asked Sticky, trying to blink sweat from his eyes. His forehead had suddenly begun to perspire. I wish, but then it would protect Mr. Benedict, Rennie said. He'd be sitting duck, sleeping here all alone. Hardy and Gristle wouldn't leave him, even if we wanted them to. Anyway, they probably wouldn't believe me. I can't exactly prove what I know. So we go alone, said Kate, and we go now. The gentleman could be closing in on her this very minute. Rennie reached for the door handle, then stopped and slapped his forehead. I'm not thinking straight. We should leave a note in case he wakes up before we get back, or... I'm on it, said Kate, taking out her pen. She wrote, Main Library, on the palm of Mr. Benedict's hand, where it couldn't be lost or overlooked. Mr. Benedict twitched, snuffled heavily, sighed again, and continued sleeping. Rennie watched the sentries. There were several cars ahead now, talking to a bus driver. After a moment, they nodded, glanced back to the taxi to be sure all was in order, then moved ahead to speak to another driver. Now, Runny hissed, throwing over the door. He leaped into the crowded street and was almost swept away by the throngs of people pushing their way through the stopped traffic. He clung to the door until his friends got out too, and then, hanging on to one another and frowning in the headlights and exhaust fumes, the three of them made off into the night, hoping they weren't too late. <laughs>